Welcome to a new episode of Craft Beer Conversations, where the beer and the conversation are always on me. How does one keep track of all that's happening in Michigan and beyond when it comes to craft beer, one of the country's fastest-growing industries? No way I can answer that question, so I turn to Sombeer.com's co-founder, John Farner, to figure it out. Sombeer has a massive social media reach and one of the most established websites out there, making them one of the nation's leading beer sites. I went to Oakland County to talk with John over an extremely rare drafting table, bourbon barrel, mean mallow bean, out of this world. Even the wax smelled like marshmallows. Anyway, I spoke with John about Sombeer's reach and influence, why Michigan craft beer is so strong, and what lies ahead for Sombeer itself. If there is a beginning there, like how Sombeer came to be, how, how did the site, the structure exist as it does today? Uh, Sombeer came to be, basically, it was born out of social media. Um, it started as a Twitter account, and eventually, um, it actually was started by another guy named David, who, he still has some, he still works with the site a little bit, but he's kind of a little more hands-off with it now. Um, it just started as a hobby where we wanted to, you know, talk about beer and write about beer, and at, over time, it turned into little, like, uh little opinion pieces and reviews about beers that we liked. And then it kept growing and growing. And before you know, it, we were being asked to promote things, being sent samples of things. And um, it's really ran primarily now off of press releases, uh, social media interaction, and for lack of a better wording, fanfare. I mean, it's still, it's still social media based though, right? I mean, mm-hmm. look what you, and I'm not saying the websites is, is secondhand, but obviously, what you guys do with like phone beer yep. or what you do on uh, Instagram, especially with the stories, I mean, that kind of stuff to me, there's so much out there from all over the place. To find all that stuff, even just to look at it, is impossible without things like that. Yeah, I think it's definitely more uh, heavy on the social media side right now. I'd say that is 100% accurate. And we spent a lot more time investing in that because really since 2020 there's it's hard to find things to talk about that don't involve the word covid so we'd rather talk about good things and when you can't go out and really get into tap rooms the way that you want to and really start talking to people you know it's easier to interact with them virtually you talk about with social media and and how it started how important is it do you think to connect people with not only each other but with other beers right i mean cuz you have the Instagram feed, you have the phone beers where you, who's drinking what right now, but also with the message board too, you see all kinds of different things. It's most of it's local, but a lot of people around here are drinking local beers, but they're, they're pulling from outside as well. And I just, I wonder how important it is to have the connection between the beer and the people. And because John, you mentioned, uh, we're not really getting that a ton right now. Like how much, maybe not how much more important it is, but just how important it is. I think it's huge. I think it kind of fills the void of having the social aspect of going to a pub, going to a tap room. It lets you, I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to share a beer and talk about beer and, you know, kind of see where that conversation takes us. It doesn't fill the void in the sense that you're not face to face with someone. You can't really get the full inflection of whatever they're talking about, but you can still kind of find new things. See if like if say Ascension cranks out a beer that I didn't even know they had it, gives you a chance to kind of see it and look at it and say, oh, I got to go hunt that down now. Yeah. I so. mean, I'll use the Arctic Circle Ascension collab, right? That came and go- went really quickly. 
And so my only experience with it, I was glad I got to see it. Sure. Right. And so again, I, I appreciate that connection. And, you know, when we talk about uh, Michigan and the beer scene, I mean, I know you guys are doing more than just what's happening here, but you have such a bird's eye view. I wonder what it is. And you and I were talking before we turned the mics on about the, uh, the dedication people have to the local scene. I wonder what you think drives that. Is it just like we're all a bunch of Detroit homers or is it more than that? I think that like the people who drink craft beer in Michigan really like are aware of and want to support their local scene, their local um, businesses and their local economy. And at the end of the day, for most of us, you know, if, if I live in Ferndale, I'd rather see my 20 bucks for a six pack, go to a, a business in Ferndale and help push Ferndale forward. I mean, you're talking forward. to a guy that lives in Ferndale and does exactly that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think that it, you know, we're very much so you look at it, we're a state that has cities like Detroit and Flint and stuff where we have been decimated by all kinds of companies that want to leave and want to, you know, take their money elsewhere. It's a way that we can give back to our own community and kind of help revitalize things and still keep our money in a home, like in our home area. It's interesting you say that because uh, I thought about this for a long time. I lived out of state for about 10 years. My wife is from New York City and she's like, we were going to a Comerica Park. She'd never been before. It was when we still lived in Arizona. We weren't even married yet. And she was, she's always hell bent on Yankees this, Yankees that because obnoxious New Yorkers are, they can't help themselves, I guess. Uh, but she was convinced that when we went to one of the stores outside of Comerica Park that she'd find a Yankees hat. And I told her, absolutely oh, no. not. No. You won't. And she's like, well, I find them everywhere else. I'm like, well, you're not everywhere no. else. And so I, I wonder if part of it is, um, I get this a lot because I was, I was in Arizona uh, during the great collapse uh, in Detroit, right? I, I left in 07, didn't come back to 18. And I wonder if people, if it's just this programmed thing, and this doesn't really connect to beer, but the overall concept that people from Detroit like Detroit so much because everybody else hated it or, or slammed it or thought less of it. And I wonder if it's just a kind of like a, you know, like a pride thing. I think there's a lot of that. I mean, before I was really into the beer scene, I came up in the like music scene and I can tell you that the turnout for local bands in a lot of cases, and again, I'm, I don't listen to like big bands. I listen to a lot of more independent stuff, but if you had a band from Detroit, they would pull five times the amount of a band that would come in from Cleveland or something like that. So I think people here just kind of are really, there's, I don't know if it's something in the water or maybe something in the beer or whatever. There's something about it that you have that, uh, us against them mentality and you want to, you know, we wear it on our sleeves. That's why you see so many people in Novi walking around with Detroit D's tattooed on them. Right. It doesn't matter where you are. Right. Right. And, and again, I think a a good chunk of it is you can attest to is just that we don't have to, and you and I were having this conversation as well. I'm not unwilling to drink something from outside of Michigan. Sure. But if I am given the option, especially when I'm, in a, in a local place where I can spend my local dollars in a local tap house, why would I go anywhere else? Right. Right. Because at the end of the day, you giving $5 to, you know, whatever brewery it is, that $5 goes to the brewery, which goes in a lot of cases to a Michigan hop grower, which will go to a Michigan grain grower, might go to a Michigan, if they have a kitchen, it might go to a you know, meat producer, uh, farm, farm or something like that. Most of these places, a lot of these places will keep everything in house. So it doesn't seem like a lot when you're buying a, you know, a $5 beer, but you are in a lot of ways 
directly contributing to more than just the craft beer scene. Right, because so. it, it, it always... And again, I think that's especially true. You see it lately. I'm not familiar enough with the scene. I've not been around long enough, I guess I should say, but I don't know what or when Michigan hops came about, but like over the last couple of years, and I've not been doing it this, this that long, but I've noticed that more people are using more Michigan hops. And I wonder if that's not part of what's fueling what's going on here. I, being out West, my wife, um, I said she was from New York, but she spent some time in Seattle and that's where she lived when I met her. Uh, the hop, culture there is driving what you're drinking the beer Mm -hmm. tastes the way it does because of where you are that's not true in a lot of places it's true in some places but i wonder if that's becoming more true here in michigan i think so i mean the hops are a big part of it the water is a huge part of it um and you'll hear people say that they have different water systems in their brewery just to either make it not taste like detroit water or taste more like detroit water or kind of do everything like that um I think it's a huge part of it is, and again, I don't think that most people go in and pick up a six pack of two hard and think about where the hops come from or anything like that, but it does. But the brewers do. The brewers do. And it, and again, whether you're thinking about it or not, it goes a long way to helping the area that you reside in. It's self-contained. It's nothing, so little leaves the state. I'm sure that, you know, again, people are using hops from all over the place because no matter where you live, you can't use local hops. Only, well, you could. But you'd be missing out on all sure. kinds of fun stuff that there'd be no point in missing. You know, we talk about missing. I wonder, and there's a lot of different opinions on festivals, depending on who you talk to. Um, but for me, just the average dude, like I think they're a ton of fun. Sometimes they can be a little bit of a cluster. But I wonder what you think we're missing. We talked about that social interaction. What we're missing without them, especially, you know, the big ones are great, but the more localized ones too, like Easter Market, things like that. I think it's a sense of community. Um, I miss going, and I, I feel this way about tap rooms in general, but I mean, I miss being able to go, I'm very much so a guy that wants to go pull up a seat at the bar and just kind of have whatever happens there and kind of feel the environment of yeah. where I'm at and a festival, whether it's a big or a small festival just takes that small environment and blows it up. It makes it a much bigger thing. You get to talk to people that you would probably not. I mean, there were people that I would see at festivals. I'd only see once or twice a year, but they're people I went to high school with and I've kind of rekindled friendships with them as a result of it. Haven't seen them in coming up on two years now. So, yeah, you know, it's the, the craft beer community is well spread out as it is throughout the state and really throughout the world. When you really start talking to people, it's really, really tightly connected at the same time. And it's kind of cool to be able to have everyone all in one place and be able to kind of touch base with them on one afternoon. I was talking to, this was about a month ago, maybe six weeks, uh, Mike Turf from M4CIC. And he's like, hey, you know, we've got these, we were we were sampling. He's like, hey, I've got these beers from Aslan. He's mm-hmm. like, they're in Virginia. And I'm like, wow, I've, okay. And he's, sure. I'm like, how did you, he's like, oh, well, I was at this festival and I met these dudes. And I mean, and that was it. the reason that if you're out there right now with an Aslan in your fridge, mm-hmm. a beer festival is the reason for that. Not, I mean, Obviously, I shouldn't say nothing else, but nothing else lit the match. That's sure. it. That's one of the so M four is like one of the greatest companies in this we, state. We bow to greatness. I mean, yeah. there's no. But that's one of the things I really like about them is I know if I'm getting something that they're distributing, they're doing it based off the fact that these are genuine people first, and they happen to have a great product behind. He said them. that to me that they vet they almost vet the person before <laughs> they taste the beer. I'm not almost they well, do, and that's again. Who do you want to be in business with? Do you right. want to be in business with people who 
you know, are shady and are just trying to, you know, make a quick buck? Or do you want to have long lasting relationships? And I think that works both ways for them because the people that are giving them beer or, or agreeing to them to do business with them are confident. And then for the people that pay attention, and this is a much smaller crowd because I don't know how many people out there, and this is not a slight against M4CIC, but know that they're the ones that have dropped your beer. Sure. But people like Nerdy Me can tell when they have a, a case or a section. And I know if I see a Brew Detroit and a, and a drafting table, and then I see something else like a Hopewell from Chicago that I've never right. seen before, I'm buying that Hopewell. Sure. Because I trust the other two because I know where it came from. Yeah, I do the same thing all the time. I, I'm a... We were talking before, like I frequent Holiday Market, and I know where they stock stuff that came from M4. And if it's in that area, yeah, I don't even question it. I just throw it in the you know six. What's the question? Right. It's already it. Somebody much more knowledgeable than me has already done that oh, work, sure. and so I can trust it. Right. I mean that. Right. That to me is exciting. And you know, we we talked about COVID, and I I hate to make everything about COVID, but you know, over the last year and a half, I've I've asked this question or very variants of the question because whether we like it or not, it's been dominating what's happening in our lives. But I wonder like how you think the, the pandemic has changed the industry and maybe, you know, it could be for the better or for the worse or, or both. Though I don't think you're going to find the same thing that did both, but there is no silver lining because we've seen the service industry get beat up and down. I mean, like a hurricane, it's so hard to see so many people that work so hard. People that are around the service industry that have worked in it before understand that it's just, it's its very own thing. But at the same time, and I shouldn't say, but, at the same time, canning, things like that, online ordering, self-distribution. Like, I feel like the craft beer community is going to take something away from this that's going to last forever and really make things better. Now, again, I'm not saying it's, it's going to outweigh what happened, but I think there's something there. Well, it's, it's definitely forcing, forcing breweries to think outside the box and do something different than what they might have done before. That can be good and that can be bad, but I think the fact that you're seeing so many more things ending up in cans in the long run is a good thing for me personally. Like there's a lot of stuff that I'll see in the, if I'm in a tap room that's like, I'll want to drink it, but I'm not going to, because it might have too high an ABV or, you know, whatever. Right. I love the fact that so many places now you can not only buy like a four pack, but the crawler, but you can buy one can. Yeah. That's fine with me. Like it still lets me kind of get the things I want to try. So I think that in the long run will probably be good. Um, I think it's also kind of forced uh, breweries to kind of, like I said, it's forcing them into... Evolve or get left behind. Yeah. And that's, like I said, it's forcing them to think on their feet. I think you're going to see a lot of the places that come... I don't want to say they're going to necessarily come out ahead, but I think you will see places that come out ahead Those that at evolved. the end of this yeah. because they are able to kind of pivot a little better than other places i don't play favorites on this podcast because there are so many great people out there but you and i are both fans of what jeff smith and his wife do sure at loaded dice and like i wonder uh you know he and i were talking this was before the latest shutdown was eased and we were talking and he was like i don't know what it's like to be at full capacity yeah. i don't know right. i don't know and so i wonder for for breweries like him or places like him that open in the middle of this it almost seems like not that they're going to end up ahead, but that they were uh, that they'll be better off ultimately because they've had to roll with the punches immediately and they did not had to forget anything else. This is all they know. So Jeff is in a unique position that he was more than any other brewery I can think of. He was thrown into the sink or swim mentality 
harder than anyone that has probably opened in the last couple of years. I mean, he's brewing to stay alive. Right. It's amazing. And I'm sure like he probably has plenty of nights where he goes home and yells and swears about it because who wouldn't, but he seems like he's, he's not only doing well as far as making a great product, he's connecting with the people around him. He's doing a great job of making the connections that are going to make, keep him not only open, but um, productive long after all this stuff blows away. So one of the things he and I were talking about, you know, cause he's like, when we, he's on the podcast, he was talking about establishing connections and, and things like that. And I saw about a month ago when the futures, the futures bet started to come out mm-hmm. and he was raffling him off. And I saw this and I sent it to him. I saw this comment on Facebook and this guy's like, Hey, I've got, uh, I don't know how many that could it was a five, four or five. I can't remember, but he's like, I've got, I've got three out of the four or four out of the five, whatever it is. Sorry, Jeff. I can't remember. But then he's like, but I'm missing one, but I have X's of the other ones. He's like, well, somebody trade with me. I'm like, dude, this is it. I'm not sure. saying that your brewery is going to make it because this happened, but people are, they're wheeling and dealing for your beer. Like, this is fantastic. That's, yeah, that's what you want. I know. You it know, was one it of, was wonderful. One of the beers we're drinking right now, I was talking about, like, it. We're, uh, we poured a mean mallow bean. This thing is ridiculous, by the way. So good. Um, the amount of wheeling and dealing that went out on with that beer on the secondary market, like, I don't know how much you can really judge a brewery's success or, like, viability based off secondary market. But, I mean, I've seen the same bottle that we're drinking sell for, like, 1500 bucks and a Nintendo Switch. Like, that's insanity. And a Nintendo Switch. Like, that's what people are trading for a beer. So, that it, it might good. not really be a gauge of, you know, where the brewery stands or anything like that. But it certainly tells you that there's interest in yeah. what you're doing. And that's never a bad thing. No, I mean, to me, like I said, it, it wasn't something that was going to change his life. But it was like he was trying to do something. And it felt like seeing that comment, he was on his way to doing that yeah. thing that he had that he had wanted to do, that he had that he had hoped to do. So for you guys, like, where do you guys go from here? I always ask brewers, like, and I, especially a couple of days ago when I was at um, North Center because they're turning six, I was like, what does the next six years look like? For you guys, like, what happens next? I mean, social media is always moving forward. It's always changing. Obviously, you have the site. Uh, I, I just wonder when you look forward, like, what you expect, what you want. I think it's that we're at a pivot point where we need to evolve and we're kind of figuring out what that's going to be. I don't know if that's going to be doing video content or doing audio content. Um, we have a couple ideas for a, our own podcast to start uh, sooner than later, which I'd like to do. Um, the site's still going to exist and do its uh, thing kind of in perpetuity. Uh, there's no plan to stop that, but I think we, we need to take a point to kind of evolve into the next medium at some point sooner than later. That's how I feel sometimes like, and I'm not old, old, but you know, I, I, uh, a TikTok, and like, and on that platform, I'm double the age of most people, but and you're a male. So that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying like, I'm not the average, uh, though there are more cause it has a bazillion users, but I, that's to me, like I, I actually do have fun with it, but it wouldn't be my first choice medium. But again, I feel like not that TikTok is going to run the world, but that we're moving in the direction of that kind of media. And so, I mean, I, I think about that kind of stuff all the time how do you evolve how do you not get stuck in the mud the biggest thing is just trying new things like we um you know we've started i've started throwing up uh heavily edited photos that just look cute and artistic lately gorgeous though um just to kind of see what sticks i mean we uh at a point we launched a food site it didn't work but we had a site that was just based around uh different food things 
um, that were doing it. It kind of fizzled out after about six months, but you know, you can't be afraid to try new things and see what happens. And sadly, some people are not going to like them. So, right. Right. But I think you, you don't, I mean, and this is obvious, but you don't know until you take a whack at it until you try. And if you don't try, you know, for sure it won't work because it has to happen. You've got to take the crack. And so let's piggyback on that. And I will ask you more uh, of a question than I would ask a brewer. Where do you think, but I can ask it in a, in a more wide frame. I always ask them, like I said, where they think they're going. And, and not only that, but I wonder where they think their beer is going. I'm always curious because you see this great evolution from, again, if you're talking about a Bells or a Founders, like I'm not old enough to see any kind of evolution. They've been fantastic the whole time I've been alive. And, but, since I've been aware, at least. But anyway, I, I wonder where you think. You said you're 36? Yeah. I'll give you bells since you've been alive. So. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, but but again, the the Michigan is so there's like 500 breweries now or something like that. I just wonder where we're going. Like, what's the next step? What's the evolution? I mean, you and I are sitting here drinking this fabulous stout. I mean, Michigan obviously we were talking about how cold it is and 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 how that feeds into it. But I just what's next? And I I, I wonder if you see the same. A lot of brewers, even though there's a lot of that, that hype-type brewing, I've seen a lot more simple flavors. I think this Pro Pills right here is a good example of that, where, you know, are we going to something instead of being, oh, it's got to taste good always, but it's like, it's like fresh, clean, bright, simple. Next. I think accessibility is next. Well, I mean by that, I think you're going to see, and people are going to hate me for saying this, but I think you're going to Pitch, see... Pitchforks and torches. I think you're going to see a lot more um, seltzers, light beers, um, <clears throat> session IPAs, uh, things that are, you know, your stuff like your your double dry hop IPAs, your, you know, kettle sours, that's not going anywhere. There's no one coming to take your, your barrel-aged stouts and all that stuff away. But the Thank one goodness. thing, right, the one thing that if you really look at, like, what could change in the craft beer scene and make it better from a business standpoint why don't you include people who don't necessarily like double dry hopped IPAs, yeah. you know, and you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm lucky that I have a wife that's a total hop head. Like she loves a big, you know, like out there IPA, like the hoppier, the better. If you listen to the pod, you know that my wife doesn't drink beer at right. all. So I'm on the but opposite end of that. That's kind of where I'm going with yeah. this. Like if you, if you're a brewery and you want to sell a mug club membership and you want to have someone coming back all the time, doesn't it kind of behoove you to make them make them want to come back with someone or give them a reason to stay as yeah. opposed to just having so, the one? I hear that a lot. I mean, and again, you know, I'm I'm truthfully I'm a bourbon guy before I'm a beer guy most days, but for me, like my wife doesn't like bourbon. So it's not as easy to say, "Hey, let's go to this bourbon bar and check it out" unless there's something there that you know, I'm like, right. "Well, they happen to have too hearted on tap right. or whatever." You know, the the way that you really grow at this point is you make it the point of entry easier so you take a you know it doesn't if you have look at what odd side is doing with the creamsicles and things like yeah, that if you have let's say 20 taps is it really going to hurt you to have two of the one of those be a if you remove nine ipas and make it eight ipas yeah and have one be a seltzer or one be a light lager yeah. or you know whatever you again pick a your table poison. beer yeah. yeah something that is just again you want to have that point of entry to be really simple i mean i was at a brewery before the world ended and um it was a place that was doing their soft open i don't want to say their name just because i don't want to throw anyone under the bus but they had a guy in there and he 
Belly's up to the bar and he's sitting next to me and he, he says to the bartender, he goes, you know, I usually drink uh, Labatt's and Bud and all the simple macro stuff. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. So he goes, what would you recommend? And she starts rattling off some like super weird kettle sour and Not all that. that. I'm like, like, dude, that pilsner right there. Drink that. Yeah. And Usually, I don't like being the guy that kind of butts into that just because it's no, not but my she place. Was, she was wrong. But I was he like, or she was wrong. I was like, dude, you're gonna have a much better experience. Just it's a, it's a pilsner. That's essentially what Miller is. Just take that and and be fine. And that's kind of where the I think the next, if you really want craft to move forward, you got to have it accessible to the masses. That's why Guinness makes a beer like Harps. It's not because they care about making lagers. <laughs> it's because they want. It, they came to America you and they said, you can't make a black and tan without it. Well, they came to America and said, gee, these Americans really like lagers. Maybe we should make a lager. <laughs> you know, th- th- there's a reason why they're popular. Right. So. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's funny you say that. I found a, and I'm not, uh, you know, like uh, somebody that's out to convert people, but um, the folks at Brew Detroit, they dropped that that citrus. I mean, Oh, that thing's amazing. But to me, that if somebody, if, if I had unlimited supply of beer... I would say if if you're a Miller Lite guy, I would point to that one and say drink that. That that's one of them. Yeah, and but I, again, that's you're gonna even in was it 2021? We've been locked up so long. It is. Um, so even in 2021, you're still gonna come across more like our most of our closest friends. They drink Coors. They drink you know Miller. You're still gonna find more people that want to have a you know big brand off-the-shelf beer than anything else. I think if you really want to start kind of changing that perception, make a mower beer that costs, you know, what you mentioned with Brew Detroit's beer. 15-pack, uh, like. 15-pack for 13 bucks. I buy that every day. Yeah. You know, you're you're basically at macro pricing for a beer that's infinitely better, and you're supporting local. I think all that translates, and I think that's really where, you know, if craft really wants to hit the next step, I think that's what, what needs to happen. That was my conversation with Sombeer.com's John Farner. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss anything across the Metro Detroit craft beer landscape and beyond. Plus, you can always follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Zach E. Clark, always Zach with an H, on Instagram at TheBrewManChu and TikTok at BrewManChu to see what I'm up to.